Well, welcome again to Redeeming Grace Church. If this is your first time gathering with us or you've been checking out our church for a few weeks, we're grateful that you're here. And for those that are members of our church, always good to worship with you uh, each Sunday. You know, one of the things we want to be and do as a local church is not only plant local churches in and around the D.C. metro area and around the world, but also come alongside of other local churches to encourage and strengthen one another and, and help each other as we all seek to make and equip growing disciples of Jesus. And over the last few months, we've had several of our church plant partners here to preach, and today we have the joy of hearing from our brother, Jeremy McLean. Uh, Jeremy has, yeah, you can... <clears throat> Jeremy's, uh, Jeremy's been with us before, but I want to reintroduce him for those of you that maybe haven't gotten to know him or heard from him. He's the pastor of Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church, which gathers in the Lincoln Heights neighborhood in Northeast D.C. Uh, and God's doing some awesome things in and through this local church. So we're going to have a chance like we've done with some of our other brothers that have been here. We're going to have a little reception after our gathering in room 102 if you want to learn more about uh, Jeremy and his family and also just the church and what God's doing there. But before we jump into the sermon, I thought I'd ask you just a couple of questions, a little teaser for later on. So first off, just tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, wife's from California. I'm from Ohio. Uh, we met in, in Washington, D.C. at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. We were married. We got married in um, 2014 um, of August, and we, um, we have four kids, um, seven-year-old, six-year-old, four-year-old, and two-year-old. Um, two, uh, two girls and two boys. Yeah, yeah. You may have saw them outside throwing up their toys in the air. But. So life's calm and... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not yeah. chaotic Very ever. Peaceful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when did you guys, uh, when did you plant Mercy of Christ? So we started doing the groundwork about 2017 and we formally covenanted together in 2018. That's great. That's yeah. great. Mark uh, was just on sabbatical, as you guys know, uh, and he just gathered with you guys last week, right? I think it was yeah, last Sunday. Yeah. yeah. He said he really enjoyed uh, worship with you. With somebody, you. Else, somebody else worshiped with us maybe like last month. Are you here? Uh, here? Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so and that's some other, some other family came and worshiped with us also. That's great. Good that's to great. see you all from afar. <laughs> Well, tell us, uh, tell us one thing that you guys are celebrating right now in, in the life of your church. Yeah, so over, I think, in the last three months, we've had three baptisms. Praise the Lord. Um, just through evangelism in the neighborhood and meeting people. And, yeah, and people are from death to life. That's great. And, and had never been going to church and things like that. And the Lord just kind of saved them. And now we're walking with them doing a, um, kind of a new members, new Christian um, Bible study. And so that's one thing you'd be praying about. It's going to be a kind of slow, long work, but if God started to work, he'll complete the work, and we're just kind of working with him as he works this out for his glory. Amen, amen. amen. Well, I know there's lots of other stuff you could share with us about, about what's going on at the church. So again, invite you guys to come out to the reception after today just to learn a little bit more about, about Mercy of Christ Fellowship. But let's pray now. Pray for you, brother, and let's dive into the word. God, we just give you thanks. So grateful for my brother. Grateful that he and his family are with us this morning and seeking to serve us um, as he preaches your word. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage him and his wife and his kiddos as they're here today just to be refreshed in the grace of the gospel in their own lives and hearts and help us to be encouraged and refreshed today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to bask in the greatness of your grace and love for us in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, I'm far more excited about being here today um, and about preaching the word today than my voice would allow me to express. 
Um, I got a little raspiness today, so um, please charge it to my voice, not my heart. I love worshiping with you all. I love what the Lord is doing here um, and abroad through this church, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for us. <laughs> and we're going to think about that today. And so if you um, have a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 16 to 18. Um, if you're new to um, the Bible or new to this church, uh, there's a Bible in the back that you can grab. <clears throat> you can keep it, I was told. Um, they're very nice, too. So. Um, and you will be on page 888. And we're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. <clears throat> Let me first start out by saying God loves you. God loves you. <clears throat> what runs through your mind when I say God loves you? Some look at themselves and think, well, of course he loves me. Who wouldn't love me? <laughs> Others look at themselves and think, no, he, he couldn't love me. And nobody has ever loved me. Uh, there may be some in here who immediately look at their external circumstances and say, yes, again, of course he loves me. Look at my external circumstances, my job and my bank account, my home, uh, my finances. Obviously, he has deep affection for me because I have a successful life. And then there's others um, who looks at their job and they're struggling with unemployment, a bad health, maybe mental illness, maybe uh, bounced checks. And they say, well, well, if God does love me, he has a very weird way of showing it. <clears throat> and there are some, when they hear the word God's, when they hear me say God loves you to a crowd, uh, they think, they, they begin to scan the room and they say, well, he loves me, but he can't love them. Or somebody may say, he, he, he probably loves them, but he can't love me. Well, in John chapter 3, Jesus, the eternal son of God, is teaching an intelligent religious leader about the kingdom of God. And this religious leader, his name was Nicodemus, and he was a Jewish Pharisee who was well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures and who had held tightly to um, the Jewish law. <clears throat> and yet, with all his scriptural knowledge, and he didn't know that entrance into the kingdom of God had to be a work of the spirit and not the work of human flesh. He didn't know that salvation was obtained through belief and not through obedience. And listen, um, he, he didn't know, with all of his knowledge, he didn't know how high and how wide God's love was for the world. And maybe that's you also. And so just as Nicodemus needed to be taught by Jesus in regards to God's love, so do we. And my prayer is that you will see his love, that you will be amazed by his love, abide in his love, and receive his love through belief in his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to start reading the text, and I'm going to point out uh, a couple of notes <clears throat> from this verse, thinking about God's love. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. Uh, For God so loved the world <clears throat> that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that 
the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We start out by saying that God's love is surprising and amazing. God's love is surprising and it is amazing. Uh, verse starts out by saying, for God so loved the world. Now, if your view of the world is beautiful lilies and flowers and a place filled with majority people who are good and only a few bad apples, or only a few bad people, then you would find this statement not surprising. And while I do applaud your optimism, I also want to challenge your view of life and, and ask you for a minute to look at the world and people through the lens of Scripture and look at people through the lens of God's Word. I mean, just look at verse 17. If How the verse 17 ends, it says that the world might be saved through him. Now, if the world is so good, why does the world need to be saved? <clears throat> or glance at verse, thir- verse 19 of chapter 3. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, in this section, when the word world is mentioned, it's not talking about lilies and flowers. It's talking about people and human beings. And the scriptural view of people is the world, people need to be saved. The deeds of this world are evil and people love darkness. The world loves darkness. The world loves evil. That's why in John chapter 17, verse 25, it's very clear when Jesus prays to the Father, he says, the world does not know you. The Bible reveals in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and in John chapter 12, verse 31, and John chapter 16, verse 11. Praise the Lord, these, this, 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 this sermon is recorded, so you don't have to write it down. But the Bible has revealed that, that the dominating influence of this world is not light and goodness, but it's Satan and darkness. That's the dominating influence of this world. The world is in so much ruin and so much darkness that the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 4, that friendship with the world is, is, is making yourself an enemy of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So, which is why it's surprising that our verse says, God loves the world. God is holy, God is light, God is good, God is perfectly upright, God is perfectly just, God is always true, God is love. It was, it was out of God's love and out of God's goodness that the Lord created the world, and yet the world loves everything contrary to light and goodness, everything contrary to God. The world loves darkness. It's evidenced by lying, 
cheating, stillings, evidenced by greed and adultery, by bestiality, by homosexuality, by idolatry and godlessness. All of that fills our society and fills this world. Drive-by shootings and drug dealing. Racism and lynching parties. Disobeying parents and a parent abusing and neglecting children. Anger, backbiting, gossip, evil thoughts, all of those things that arise in our hearts. The list goes on and on because the world is darkness. The world is evil. Which is why it's so surprising and amazing and kind of inconceivable that this text says, for God so loved the world. What a pleasant surprise. You ever look at a couple and said, how in the world did he get her? <laughs> and that's how it should be with us and God. Every day we should wake up and say, why in the world would God love the world? And let alone me. It should surprise us. It should amaze us. We should wonder at his love for the world. I'm not encouraging low self-esteem. You're made in the image of God and you are valuable. I'm encouraging humility and higher esteem for the sovereignty of God and the, the greatness of God and the holiness of God. Because you're not entitled to his love. And because of sin, we are very undeserving of his love. And yet, the text says, for God so loved the world. Be surprised and be amazed. We also know this, that God's love is abundant and it is clear. Look at the verse that says, for God so loved the world that he gave, <clears throat> he gave his son, one and only son. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love is abundant and it is clear. I don't tell my children to stop putting syrup on their pancakes. I tell my children to stop putting so much syrup on their pancakes. <laughs> and sometimes when you put the word so in front of another word, you do it to signify a large amount. You're talking about magnitude and you're talking about how much and there is a sense that God's love is just that great it's just that much he so loves the world Ephesians says that the love of Christ surpasses human understanding the psalmist in Psalm chapter 36 verse 5 says that the love of the Lord reaches the heavens Psalm 103 verse 11 says, as far as, I mean, as far as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. One of the ways that God shows his general love for humanity is by sustaining creation. And Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says that the Lord causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. The Lord causes the rain uh, to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, how many sunrises and rainfalls has there been since this evil and fallen world has been in existence? He loves greatly. 
He doesn't love in small portion sizes. I grew up eating a lot, and so I used to frequent buffets in the Golden, Golden Corral and because I wanted large portion sizes. And then I got married, and, I, and my wife introduced me to something called tapas. <laughs> tapas. They're, they're, they're very small, savory dishes that you could finish with just one bite. And I think to myself, the tapas are good, but where's the rest of the food? <laughs> right, Bastard? You eat, you eat tapas that? Where's the food at, David? <laughs> the buffet has an abundance of food, but it's not really kind of rich and good to some. <laughs> and then you have tapas, which is rich and tasty, but it's not a lot of food. But listen, family, listen, family, God's love, it is abundant and it is savory. He lavishes the world in abundant love. And it's good. It's rich. And it's clearly seen, not just in creation, but it's supremely seen in, <clears throat> in what he gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son the measure of his love and the manner of his love and seen is clearly seen in that he graciously gave the world his son, his only son. You and I <clears throat> become spiritual sons of God through adoption, but there is only one son of God who was son by nature. Eternally existed as the son of God share the same glory and essence as the Father. And God gave his son as a demonstration of his love. When you go to an auction, you know how much a person really wants something by how much they're willing to pay for it. <clears throat> and look how great the love of God is for the world. Look at, look at the, the price he was willing to pay. He... <laughs> He set the highest price, and then he paid the highest price. So for the world to be saved, he set the price to be the eternal riches of heaven. And then he sends the eternal riches of heaven, Jesus Christ. He sends God to the world to pay that price to buy back people for himself. That's just how great the love of God is for the world. He sent his son into the world to completely live a perfect life. <clears throat> and God the Father sent his son into the world to die. Jesus came to the world and gave up the glory of heaven to die on a gory cross. That's his love. When we hear of someone giving their life for another, a natural response is not to say they must have really hated that person. A natural response is not to say, is, is not to say they, must have, they must really don't care about that person. The natural response that arises in us when we hear of someone dying for another is to say they must have really loved that person. 
And God gave his son to die for the world because he loves the world. And sending his son was the greatest expression of that love. And, and sending his son to die, to live and to die, is, makes his love abundantly clear. There may, be, there may be a hundred people who don't love you. And there may be hundreds of ways that those people have shown you that they don't love you. But God's love for you outnumbers them all. Not only that, but God's love outnumbers how unlovable you are. You have a thousand flaws and you have committed more sins than you even know. And yet God's love is so great that he still loves you. His love is immeasurable and abundant. And it's seen in him giving his son. We see it also in, it's, it's made clear in Romans chapter, eight verse, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says, but God demonstrates his love for us in that. How did God demonstrate his love for us? For God demonstrated his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you never ever see another sunshine or you never ever receive another meal, if you never hear a baby call your name or you never stand across from another person at the altar and hear them say, I do, if you never get healed from a particular disease, you can always point to a that. You can always point to something that says that God loves the world and that God loves you. And that that is clearly seen in him sending his son in the world to die. A person may say, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, he wouldn't have let me be abused. If he loved me, he wouldn't have let my child die. If he loved me, I would be married by now. And there's so many difficult things that a person could point to to say that God doesn't love me. And the Lord knows these things. He sees these things. He knows that they are hard. But he says you can point to the cross to know that I love you. Abide in that love. <clears throat> God's love is abundant and it's clear. God's love is also universally offered and, and, and it's obtainable. Look at the verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son or his only son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It says that whosoever, whosoever, whoever believes in him has eternal life. Again, in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. This offer of God's love is, goes out to whoever, whosoever. During Jesus' day to say whoever was cutting against the grain, the Jews at that time largely primarily focused on the Jews being saved. And the Pharisees only thought that the righteous Jews who lived according to the law would be saved. But this text, this text shatters the view that only Jews can be saved. 
This text shatters nationalism. It shatters racism. It shatters classism. It shatters ageism, sexism, intellectualism, elitism. Whosoever, whoever. The scope of God's love is large and it's universal. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We run a couple of verses by in John um, chapter 6, verse 33. The bread of life is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And just stay in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 15. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Verse, 30, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's to whoever. God's love is not offered to only a select few of individuals. It's offered to everyone. It's not offered to certain households with certain income levels and certain family structures. It's offered to everyone. In heaven, we are told that there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation praising the lamb that was slain for the world. Worship in heaven will be multi-generational, multilingual, multi-ethnic, multi-background. And why? Because the offer is to whoever. Look around you in this church. The reason why there's so many different ages and different races and ethnicities and different um, dressing, dressing habits and different ways people sing and is because of the whosoever. God brings people from all over and he brings them to his son and he saves them and brings them into a fellowship with one another. And this fellowship right here is what, it's a, it's such a wonderful visual of God saving the whosoever's and bringing them together. God saves whosoever. And so you have to keep that in mind. That's, that's, that's why it's important. The reason why you all plant churches and help Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church is because you all believe that he saves whosoever. The reason that you all support um, missions in Japan, in the Middle East, and in the DR is because you all have a conviction that God saves whosoever and whoever. And I pray that the Lord will continue to put the whoever in your heart so that you continue to go to the nations and to the neighborhoods and that you will go down the block to the person that doesn't look like they could be saved, but in your mind you remember he's a or she's a whoever. God's love is universally offered and it is obtainable. It is obtainable. So while his love is universal, while it's offered freely, <clears throat> it's only obtained, it's only obtained by those who believe. His saving love is obtained through belief in Jesus. So it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. Nobody can work their way into God's love. There are no, there are no amount of good deeds or good behavior that a person can do that can earn God's love. The Bible makes it very clear that a person is not saved through works of the law. If a person tries to be saved through their obedience, they will be doomed. And that's because nobody's obedience measures up to God's perfect standard of righteousness. No one will be saved by works and no one can be saved by their works. But there is something that you must do. You're not saved by works, but there is something that you must do. And you must believe. You must believe on the work of Jesus Christ. You must believe on his work on your behalf. John 3.15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish. John 3.18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. To obtain this, this saving love, a person must believe. They must have faith. They must trust in Jesus Christ. It's not about believing in yourself. <clears throat> it's not about believing in your potential. It's not about believing in the good of humanity. It's not about believing in God in general. You must believe in the name of Jesus. You must trust in the eternal Son of God. You must believe in who he is, who he is. He's the eternal son of God who's fully God and fully man, came into the world to save men from death. You must believe in what he has done. He lived a perfect life to secure the righteousness for you that, so you, that you can stand before a holy God. He died on the cross for you to serve the punishment that you deserve for your wicked disobedience. He was raised from the grave for you so that you might be righteous in heaven with the Lord, so that you might be justified. He has been exalted in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he is Lord, and he is Savior. Overall, you must believe in who he is. You must believe in what he has done. You must believe in what he has said and taught. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. <laughs> he taught that you must repent of your sins, and you must trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. You must believe in Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he has taught. You must repent and turn from your evilness, turn from your wicked ways. You must throw your life completely into the arms of the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And as one song says, his, in his arms are 10,000 charms. Arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace you. But you must believe. His love is obtainable and it's universally offered. You must believe. And lastly, his love is missional and it is saving. <clears throat> read the verse again for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There is a purpose to God's love. There's a mission to God's love. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. If anyone had the right to condemn the world, it would have been Jesus. If anyone had the right to go around and whacking their fingers at people and condemning people and throwing stones at people, it would have been Jesus. But that's not what his ministry was characterized by, was it? Yes, he pointed out sin when necessary, but he came to save. He came to save. That's why when you look at Jesus' ministry, how often do you read about Jesus saying, you, <clears throat> you foolish hypocrites, be blind? How, how often do you read about Jesus uh, uh, making people physically sick? When do you see Jesus paralyzing people because of their disobedience? Jesus came healing. Jesus came giving sight to the blind. He came. He should have just zapped people and told them, be dead. All the ways they were cursing him and, and blaspheming his name. He should have just been walking around killing people on spot. But yet he, 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 he raises people and brings them back to life. Jesus came not to condemn. As I said earlier, the world is full of darkness. And as the text said, the world is full of darkness. And as the text said, the world is already condemned. Sending the, Jesus to condemn the world would have been unnecessary. Unless he chose it to be necessary. But he didn't choose to be necessary. He did not come to condemn. He came to save. That was the mission. He came to, to keep people from perishing. The world is guilty, is condemned. The, the wrath, the anger, the punishment of God has already been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, un, and the unrighteousness of men. In John chapter 3, verse 36, the text says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's not a matter of time before Judgment Day comes. Judgment Day is coming. And it's at that point when the wrath of God will reach eternal proportions and, and people who are already condemned will, will finally receive their full condemnation, fully separated from God forever for eternal punishment without any possibility of relief. 
But praise the Lord, God has provided a rescue. He sent the son on a rescue mission to save people from perishing, to save people from the wrath that is to come. And that's exactly what he did. He came, he lived, he died, he rose so that those who would trust in him could, could join him in his death and also in his resurrection to life. So that you could sing, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? So that you could have eternal life with the Father. And eternal life is not just living forever. I would, I would not want to live forever in this broken world nor would I want to live forever without God. Eternal life is life with God and knowing him and being with him forever. That's eternal life. And we get the fullness of that eternal life when he comes again to bring you the new heavens and the new earth to bring an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, to bring unspeakable and everlasting joy, to bring um, new bodies that that won't be broken, new minds, new hearts that will never sin. That's what we get when he comes. If you have believed in Jesus and received him in your heart by faith, and if you have repented of your sins, And all of this is offered and and grounded upon the love of God and the love of God for the world, the love of God for you. I pray that you would know this love. Um, Psychologists say that, um, well, one psychologist says that one of the greatest needs that's built into everybody is love. Love can keep you from jumping off of a cliff. Love can keep you from running away from home. Love can keep you from cheating on your spouse. But it's not the love of the world that will keep you from doing those things. It's the love of God. Receive his love, abide in his love, and enjoy his love forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Uh, uh, Father, we, all the rewards that we are to receive, It's not based upon our love for you, but based upon your love for us in Jesus Christ. And it's based upon the works that Jesus Christ has done for us. Oh, we thank you for that love. We ask that you would help us to receive it, to not reject it. We ask that you would shed your love in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to know the depths and widths of it for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.